fasting. Abba, Father, I love you. Thank you for everybody that's here. No one is here um, outside of your divine calling. And that you're going to speak very, very clearly. I confess, Lord, we know your word is the sharp sword. It's living. It's alive. Your word is alive. And John 6, our flesh, the best efforts we produce profits. Nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. It is your word that gives life. And we want to honor your word. And always, always honor your word here at Christ Church. Beg that your blessing would be upon us right now, please. Those listening online, they, they would listen and they would not be turned away with all the distractions that, that uh, happen at home. Lord, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for those that are here for the first time, uh, here's Freddie. Man, our coolometer just went up. There you go. It is so good to see you, Freddie. Jay, um, we're working on spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And this is out of uh, an obligation, responsibility that the leadership team has given me and that we write, that I write a kind of new members class. And so I'm doing, I'm smart. I'm going to do two things at once. We're going to do good teaching on Sunday morning, but this is going to be uh, new member class material. So getting at it, we're working on spiritual intimacy what does it mean to be intimate with God? What does it mean to be close to God? Real quick, um, uh, Rachel, you'll know what I'm talking about, and, and Cheney as well. Um, John Bowlby and his, his team outlined ways that we are intimate in our relationship. He called it an attachment schema or an attachment style. And it looks, let me use my hands to show what it kind of means. Um, you have some attachment that is parasitic. <laughs> And you can't, you can't break away from a parasitic attachment. Uh, either you're the dog and you welcome the tick. Or you're the tick looking for a dog, all right? There's parasitic attachment. Never healthy, right? Now, in good, healthy attachment, it's going to look something like this. It's going to be a point of contact, intimacy. But there's also going to be just a little separation because we know we're individuals, right? So in a good husband-wife relationship, it's going to look like that, Right? Good parent-child relationship is going to look like that, right? It can't be stuck like glue. And it can't be parasitic. Now, here's when things go south. You have what's known as an anxious attachment. I want intimacy. I want closeness. But I'm afraid I'll get hurt. So I do this. I'm doing this. And sometimes people do a little self-sabotaging. You know what that means? If I get close, I'm going to get hurt anyway. So I'll just mess it up over here and, 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 and make sure that I'll never get hurt. You know, like, I'll throw the punch first because I know you're going to punch me anyway. So, so it's this kind of stuff, right? And then it gets really scary when you're way out here and you're dismissive, ambivalent. You're a loner and you don't care. <laughs> you don't care about people. That's really a bad, bad place. And then there's another one, and this is when you go psychotic and we're off the rails at that point. It's really bad. So, you know, and those of you who laughed are probably that way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Boy, did they just pass the test on that one, Rachel. Oh, my goodness. So, no, no, no. So, guess what? Let's borrow those symbols. Let's borrow those symbols and, and do a quick quiz. How intimate are you with God? Is God a theory? Like, he's a great idea. And he's out there, like in books or literature or something, or in the world of philosophy, God's a theory. Or is he someone 
who is real. And you can have intimacy with God. You can have sacred intimacy. And you can talk to him. And he can talk to you. Right? It's not a theory. It's not some heady idea that some crazy religious people formed, you know, eons ago. And here we are in step with culture, in step with religious tradition. And we're here out of social obligation or to build our contact portfolio so we can sell you something, you know, networking. Uh, or is, is God real? Can you have intimacy? Now, I know for a fact you can have intimacy with God and, and a deep, deep relationship. There's a verse in Exodus that describes God's relationship to Moses. And it says this, that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man does with his friend. Wow. Can you imagine speaking to God face to face as a man does with his friend? Now, someone told me years and years ago that we are as close to God as we want to be. What do you think of that? Give me some feedback. What do you think? We're as close to God as we want to be. Do you think that's a true statement? You think so, Alan? How so? Why, why would that be true? That we're as close to God as we want to be. Joe, what do you think? We're as close, we, we get all the God we want. Yeah, I mean, it's, that goes, what is it, Hebrews? Where he uh, rewards earnestly those who seek him. Yeah. Kind of yeah, anybody else? We get all the God we want. What's that, man? I have to be close to God from Jesus. Right, right. And when you have that intimacy, that lives in you, then, now I'm not saying that it starts off as soon as you become a believer. It should, but work. this word is what you've got to do now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you're in that word, then you grow closer to God. Yes, yes. Can you quote Hebrews 10? 17. <laughs> Boy, it's a contact sport when you're at Christchurch. You can have grass stains and marks on the helmet if you come. It's, it, there's risk. So what, is, what does Paul say teach us in Romans 10? Faith comes by hearing and what? The, no, no, no. The what? The words of Christ. The words of Christ. Yeah. So you want intimacy with God? You're going to have to reckon with the words of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, I think it's true. There's a tendency that we have all, all the God we want. <laughs> all that we want. And sometimes what we want, and I know this sounds like a preacherism, so bear with me. Uh, it's almost like a little fire. I'll take a $3 bag of God, please. Just a little fire insurance. And as long as that's, I got my insurance policy, we're good to go. You know. Well, there you, there you have it. Sometimes we get all of God we want. And as long as we feel good about the end we're going to be okay about it. So are you looking at the slide on the far right? These are the, these are the disciplines that will engage us in intimacy, in spiritual intimacy. Just beautiful. So let's take it on fasting. I want to do a quick scan here with you. Fasting in the Old and New Testaments, and essentially these are the reasons why we fast or why you see fasting in the Old and the New Testaments. Number one, you see this, uh, Torah prescribes it. It's a command, right? But it's unusual. There's really not a lot. You'd think you could, you could type in uh, Old Testament commands to fast, and guess what? They're really not there. There's not a whole lot in Torah, which means the first five books. It's not there. What you do see 
in Hebrew is a term called anah, and it means to humble yourself, afflict yourself, or if you want some literal Hebrew, to beat yourself down, okay? And so, like when, in, in Leviticus 23, 26, it says, this is before the Day of Atonement, the great, like the holiest feast of all in Israel, the Day of Atonement. Prior to that, you need to beat yourself down. You need to afflict yourself. And all rabbinic scholars say it probably means fasting, among a lot of other things, right? The cessation of all work, all these things. But the Hebrew term anah probably implies that you're going to discipline yourself by denying yourself food. So that's implied. You have protection from pollution. Daniel said, listen, I can't drink the king's wine. I can't eat the king's meat. And there's other texts that talk about, you know, dietary codes and fasting from, from things. Uh, not unrelated to some of us who battle celiac and, and the gluten-free thing and the dairy, you know, there's certain things that really are not good. But for the Israelis who follow Yahweh, we're not going to eat these things because of spiritual pollution. All right, penance for individual sin. Psalm 69, the psalmist is talking about, I have wept, I have fasted because my sins are, I'm overwhelmed with the guilt of my sin. You see a lot of fasting in response to calamity. The Babylon is en route. You can see the dust cloud as the army is marching toward Jerusalem or the Assyrians coming from the north. And you know horrible judgment is coming and it is all kinds of prayer, fasting in response to calamity, war, judgment, disease, all these things. And then number five, it's an act of sincerity and pleading for answer to prayer. The idea here with, with, with fasting is that it moves us, it moves us to the place where we're really, really serious with God. Okay, let me, let me just make a couple of comments here in passing. You ready? If we could be, if we could be honest, and, or I should say transparent, sometimes our prayers are not very sincere. Sometimes they are platitudes. Sometimes our prayers are um, habitual. They're hurried. They're hurried. It, it's almost like we're tick, you know, ticking off the box, a little laundry list, right? All that kind of stuff. Has anybody here, no comment, this is rhetorical, been on your knees weeping and fasting? You go to a whole new level with seeking God when you're doing that. When, you're, when you've denied your body food, and you're not in like, well, I'm a whole hour into my fast, and uh, I really feel like I have sacrificed for God, you know. I'm ready to pray. No, 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 no. We're talking about you're, you're getting weak, blood sugar's low, you're getting weak, maybe shaky. Okay, now we're feeling the sting. We're feeling the burn of what it's like to really fast. And when you pray, when you pray hands up, tears coming down, fasting. It goes to a whole new place, okay? And a lot of us never go there, never. Our prayer life looks something like this. Dear God, thank you for this food. Bless this food. Uh, and, and the hands that prepared it. And, you know, a little lingo we use in our prayers, right? That stuff we say a lot. And there you go. 
that's about as deep as it gets. You know, bless you, bless you, bless you, sister, bless you, brother. About as deep as it goes. But when you fast, it can get real serious, real serious. Uh, it's an act of worship. There's this amazing lady named Anna. And in Luke's gospel, he says that she was a prophetess. And she served in the temple. How's that for a ministry to be a prophet? Prophetess. And, she served, and, she, and it says that she would do prayer and fasting night and day. In fact, she wouldn't even go home. She was a widow. She wouldn't go home. How's that? As an act of worship, offering everything to God. And then uh, to discern the will of God, you see several texts there. Um, the idea of fasting, and again, when you're several hours or days into a fast, it kind of clears the playing field. It gets really clear what matters. If you're in a day one, day two, day three of a fast, it's like you get all kinds of clarity when that happens. And we're trying to discern what the will of God is. Uh, by the way, uh, there's a reference in Luke's gospel. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this. Remember when Jesus chose the 12 disciples, right? That they would become apostles. You know what he did? He spent the whole night, the whole night in prayer and fasting that's recorded, I'm assuming more, in preparation to make the decision who were the 12 men that he was going to pour his life into. Sometimes to discern the will of God, you got to get more than a spreadsheet out. You've got to fast and you've got to pray. Last one, spiritual fasting. And this is an unusual one, so help, help me uh, uh, here. The idea of a spiritual fast is this. Um, what, uh, what impresses God, what God wants from us, isn't necessarily that we, that we don't put Chick-fil-A in our tummy. I realize it just caused trauma. I'm sorry, let's do a different illustration. That wasn't that fun. Chick-fil-A's not that good. Come on, come on. Okay, they're closed on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're closed on Sunday. There's a song about that. Thank you for Tim Hawkins. And so it's, it's like God's not going to be, oh, I'm so proud of you, Chris. You're not eating, you know, steak or whatever, whatever it is. What God really wants, when you read Isaiah 58, he wants me to share my food with the poor, Freddie. Right? And so the prophet, the great prophet Isaiah says, that's the fast that I'm looking at. How are you going to handle the poor? How are you going to handle the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the afflicted, the one that's being persecuted, the one that's experiencing justice? How you handle those kind of situations is the true fast that I am looking for. So that, at that point, Freddie, it's a spiritual metaphor. Fasting is a spiritual metaphor for doing the will of God. Makes, makes sense? Well, guess what? When you look at Matthew 4, uh, by the way, doing the will of God, Matthew 4, the temptation. Mark, there's a little reference to it. Luke, another big one. Uh, and the, the Jesus is fasting. It's a supernatural fast. No food, no water. 40 days. Moses did that too, by the way. And Satan hits him with the big three temptations, Right? They get at all three aspects of what it means to be human, all those things. But it's in Luke's gospel that you get this really, really fascinating thing. After the temptation, Jesus is in the temple and he says to the attendant, hand me the Isaiah scroll. 
And they take the scroll, and Jesus rolls it out to the place where it needs to go. And Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim sight to the blind, food for the hungry, freedom for the captives. This is all drawn from the language of Isaiah 58. In other words, Jesus is doing the will of God as though he is fasting. So here's the idea behind that. Um, Paul talks about, is food made for the stomach or is stomach made for food? This is 1 Corinthians 10. And the answer is, food is made for the stomach. The stomach is not made for food. Here's what it means. Anybody ever hear this little phrase, do we eat to live or do we live to eat? You've heard that, yeah. Some of us who know food addictions have heard that one. Do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Those who know food addictions get that one. Okay, you got it? Eight reasons why we fast. Now let's dig into scripture. Here we go. All right, I want everybody to turn to Matthew 6. Everybody turn to Matthew 6. Uh, this is Jesus teaching on fasting. And it is so good. Life-changing if you get this. So Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And this is what Jesus teaches us about fasting. Verse 16. 6, 16. Now... Whenever you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they distort their faces so that they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There it is. You ready? Let's walk through it. Number one, verse 16. When Jesus says, whenever you fast, what does he imply? What's that? You're going to do it, right? He's implying it's assumed that that's an active discipline that you, that I would do, would do as a believer, right? We would do that. By the way, on that eight, those eight reasons why uh, we fast in the Old and New Testaments, did you see anyone that says to improve my figure? Nope. Nope. So it's assumed you're going to fast, and the instructive is, uh, don't put on a gloomy face. As the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so that they be noticed by people. What is going on there? Okay, let me give you a little background so you can appreciate what's happening with the Pharisees here. Um, we, we as Western modern people, when it comes to moral sin, moral issues, we see this thing through very private, private lenses. Moral sin is a private matter. Morality tends to be a private matter, and we're all uncomfortable about it because we have all kinds of dysfunction regarding sexual things. It's, it's a fascinating study to, on how we see our bodies and things. We have all kinds of dysfunction in that area, and so morality is a really private kind of thing. And it's also very individualized. It's not only private, it's just about us. It's a private matter, all right? And that, by the way, is called monadism. Monad meaning one. My issues regarding morality are mine alone and are none of your business. 
Welcome to America. <laughs> there it is, right? But if you go back into ancient Israel, to the first century world, the opposite is true. Okay? All these things, moral issues, sin issues, are all, are all group issues. It's the group, not the one. It's the group. And that is called dyadism. Right? The dyadic social world of the New Testament. Meaning we are all interacting and affecting each other. Right? So when the Pharisees are going crazy strict on the law and on the rules and they're enforcing it on people, why are they doing that? And I, I want you to answer. Why did the Pharisees lay down such strict rules? Why? Why? Certainly, certainly that's a part of it, but there's a motive. What's the motive behind it? What's that order? Absolutely, but why? What's the big reason? They want the Messiah to come back. They want the Messiah to come back, and if everybody is pure and clean and holy, what happens? He'll come back. It all works out. (laughs) If you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're not blessed. And these Pharisees, by the way, they would make great board members at the average church because they're incredible people. Anybody here memorize the first five books of Moses? Anybody can quote like Isaiah? (laughs) These men devoted themselves to scripture like we're not even, we can't even comprehend the devotion they had. And And I know they got it wrong in the worst, I know that. But I'm telling you, they're incredible people, disciplined, it's amazing. And they expected if everybody would obey the rules, Rome would be kicked out. We could cleanse our land, our, our land from this demonic possession of Rome that penetrated our borders, the great dog, or, or all that stuff. You get the idea, the pigs that were in the land. And are you getting it? Are you with me? Am I going too deep on this or, or yakking, flapping my jaws here? Let me make this count. When you put on, when you fast, and you put on a gloomy face, and you act like you're in bed. I'm so hungry. I'm devoted to God. I'm so, so hungry. I'm distorting my fish. You're literally trying to motivate other people to enter into your devotion. I'm going to distort my face and act miserable in my devotion to God. So you would join me in my devotion. So that we all would repent of our sins. So that we all would move past this stuff. Now, I realize that, you know, the way I'm spinning it, the way I'm teaching you is, and by the way, I'm giving you straight history and theology. We'd say, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, let's all fast and look miserable. But Jesus says, no, we're not going there. He says, no. We're not going to try to do righteousness the way the Pharisees do righteousness. We're not going to do that. We're going to go on a whole new level, and the level is secret intimacy with God. This is what we want. Secret intimacy with God. We're not going to go the way of the Pharisee. We're not going to do that. All right? So when we fast, we're to anoint our head with oil. Uh, that would mean do your hair for us today. And we're going to wash your face so that nobody knows you're fasting. Nobody. And your father who is in secret sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay. Um, a, a comment. Uh, please hear me. Please hear me with grace. Don't don't go sideways. I'm about to tell you. Have you ever noticed some people who do Ash Wednesday do that? They, they'll put the sign of the cross right in the ash pile, which is beautiful, and we should do that. But then they put it on Facebook, 
And it's all over Instagram and Facebook, right? Okay. I, I doubt anybody had some malicious, pharisaic motive. And, you know, I, no, but I'm just saying, you know what? Let's keep it private. Let's just keep it really, really private, right? Do you understand? Matthew 6, right? Jesus expects that we're going to fast and he expects uh, us that, that, that we do it secretly. Now, everybody turn to chapter 9. Chapter 9. And we get the most fascinating teaching about fasting from Jesus. All right? And, and this is going to be the, the ending portion of Scripture. So, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Um, then the disciples of John, not Pharisees, right, came to him asking, why do we... And the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendance of the bride, uh, the attendance of the groom cannot mourn as long as the groom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them and they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into, new, into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wineskins into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. In Greek, that is one single paragraph. Okay. All right. I want you to... I'm, we're just going to make this so simple. When Jesus shows up, Freddie, it's party time. <laughs> When you're with Jesus, it's not time to fast. It's party time. All right. In fact, when you look at the commands in Israel in the feast, it's about party. It's about abundance of food. And you're celebrating for a week on a lot of the Israeli festivals. God wants you to celebrate. He wants the table to be bountiful. He wants the, the vats to overflow with wine. This is God. This is God's heart. It's all in the Old Testament. It's all there. But, but, when Jesus is taken away, what's the response based on Matthew 9? What's the response? Mourning. Okay, what, what, do you, what do you think he's saying? That we fast because we're mourning because the groom is gone. What's the motive for fasting then? What do you think? What's it, Sloan? To reflect on Jesus, Steve? Uh, the, the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? To get back that intimacy that you had when you were in person. Yes. Yes. There it is. There it is, Tiffany. It's like, do you remember you and Joe first married? And the love, and I know you're still alive. I mean, it's obvious, right? But come on, you know, your first marriage is pretty special. And, and uh, do you remember the day when Joe had to go to work and you left him? You know? By the way, all, you better answer all positive or it's going to look really bad. So, do you remember how much you missed him and how much you missed her when she, and you saw her drive away and her license plate got smaller and smaller and smaller? And Romeo longed for Juliet. You know, it's just beautiful, yeah. We're getting at it. We're getting at it. We're mourning because he's not with us and we want him here. We want him here, 
more than we want food. Now we're getting at it. (laughs) Now we got at it. There it is. We long to be intimate with Jesus more than we want to be intimate with Chick-fil-A. Or a good steak at Longhorn Steakhouse, you know, or whatever your, your place is, you know. I mean, nobody would eat at McDonald's. Who would do that? I mean, non-believers would eat at McDonald's. It's just Gentiles, maybe. But um, we long for Jesus more than we want a Coke. We long for Jesus more than we want food, more than you want uh, an incredible number of likes on Instagram or whatever it is. Yeah. All right. If you had to pick, pop quiz, if you had to pick, and I want you to say a number, but based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 and Matthew 9, okay, which one comes closest to the teaching of Jesus? Or which ones come closest to the teaching of Jesus? You guys see it? Yeah. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Make a lot of sense. Yeah. What about eight? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. Paul, the Apostle Paul made it very, very clear that the idea of one person doing all the talking in church is absolutely an absurd idea. Because the church is supposed to be gifted with prophets, teachers, discerners, encouragers, merciful people, all the gifts, the body of Christ. And so at Christ's church, that is something we take responsibility for. Okay? You've heard the teaching of God's word. I know I've taught it well. There should be no confusion at this point. I've taught it well. I know that. Now the question is, you in the Holy Spirit inside of you, Now this is time for group counseling. And that is literally a biblical thing that I just said. Because counseling is in the New Testament, that word, and it means to counsel, or it means to advise. It means to tell somebody how to do life. That's exactly the word Paul uses. Okay, So let's do it. Let's tell each other how to do life as as followers of Jesus. What should we do, Christchurch, to move toward a deeper intimacy with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, through fasting? Advice. How do we do it? This is the invitation to live this thing out. And you're the body of Christ. It's your responsibility. Bruce. I wanted to, when you asked before, uh, you brought up, are we, can we get as, are, are we as close to God as we want to be? Mm-hmm. Right? These thoughts were coming into my head, and I was typing them in, and I thought he's going to think I'm kind of texting somebody, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. I wonder if I'm going to read this, but I, I just, everything I just typed in. Okay. If we are the Imago Dei. Yep, the image of God. That's the Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, then it would make sense that we would have elements of God either in us and or available to us. And I'm saying that kind of loosely, but, right. but we do. Right. And, uh, we reflect there the image of God. things that are God's alone creation and being the originator of laws and order being two of them, mm-hmm. two of many, mm-hmm. they're his. 
even so, we're told that it is the mystery of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek out a matter, which is discernment. Right, Proverbs 25, 2, yeah. And then I wrote, Jesus is the singular connector, the wire uh, that connects us to God. And fasting is one of the things that provides the electricity, okay. uh, the current that brings yeah. the relationship to life. Yeah. yeah. Or makes it, makes it more alive. Yeah. As close to God as we want to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if we privately fast, that's one of the ways we can become as close to the triune God. Bruce, that's so good. Let me give an illustration at a marriage again to, to indicate that Bruce is really onto something here. All the ladies will appreciate this one. Okay, it's Valentine's Day. Or it's your anniversary, right? And what does your husband get you? Nothing. Nothing at all. Why? Because he forgot. <laughs> That's why. I see lots of smiles, lots of smiles, right? And so, and, and this woman whose heart is so attuned to her husband, she goes, not even a card? Um, I feel like maybe I'm not so important. <laughs> or, or, I know, but I know he loves me. I know he does. And I know he's going to want to ask for a special hug and a kiss tonight. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. You know? <laughs> mm. A card would have been nice. Something. That might be getting at something, Bruce. Like, are we really serious about telling our wives? By the way, here's another one. This is a free commercial for all males in the room. Boy, the, for 30-something years, we're getting close to 40 years, if I've heard a complaint in my office, and I have heard a bunch, females complaining about their husband, he can't even plan a date. We finally agree to do one. And then he goes, we ain't going anywhere until you tell me what you want to do. And he just sits on the driveway. Well, that's romantic. Oh, my goodness. You know, and why, can't he, why can't he act like he loves me? Why can't he plan a day? You know? So it's funny. Maybe uh, Bruce fasting is a way of showing God we're really serious about this. We're moving it out of the zone of the theoretical. Oh, it, it's so nice that there's a God who loves... Isn't that nice? It, there's a God. Oh, it's so cute. What about the practical? Do we serve him? Way beyond nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? They do what with the lips? And with their heart? Ready? <clears throat> far, far and away. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? How do we do this? How do we live it out? I think casting brings up Jesus, my Lord, wow. for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and count them your rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And so he experiences this suffering. He experiences this loss of things. But I think as a result of that, his perspective is that of the thing I lost is the rubbish. It's the dross that's been burned. And I think an act of fasting allows you to be able to see what is valuable to me. What can I live without? What can I live with? And more than anything else, the spiritual discipline of fasting allows us to double down on the fact that Jesus Christ is what we can live without. That's so good, Patch. So, Patch, you're getting at something. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is retelling the story of the Exodus. And as he retells it, he says, now this is God commenting about Israel. I let you wander in the wilderness. And God says this. This may be hard for some of you who are, who are, are tenderhearted. God says, I intentionally let you go without food. I intentionally made you hungry. And then I provided you with the manna of heaven, a food nobody's ever seen before. In order that you may know, quote it, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God's supreme. Which is what Jesus quoted. Wow. So yeah, what can you live with? What can you live without, Patch? Yep. Yep. All right, you guys have been wonderful. Thank you. You've given wise counsel. Um, you may need to consider fasting. I, well, I am right now in regarding to Lent, um, but I'm talking about this level of fasting. It's something you might need to consider. But if your motive is to, to beautify yourself, I think, you know, you, you're missing it on spiritual terms. Now, is your body the temple of the Holy Spirit? First, Thessalonians, First Corinthians three, absolutely, and First, and first uh, Corinthians six and Second. Yes, your body is the temple. Honor the temple. Go to the gym, work out, drink protein, stop eating potatoes. Yes, do it. Yep. Okay, we're good. That's not what this is talking about. This is about the spiritual pursuit of God. It's about intimacy with God. Is what it's about. Okay. And so, um, Bruce Paul wrote, there is one mediator between God and man, and it's not a Catholic priest. The Pope didn't die on the cross for anybody. <laughs> and it's not the Greek Orthodox. By the way, they got the, they got the copyright on the first church. They do. Catholics split off of them in the 10th century, 11th century. Catholic priest... A Greek Orthodox priest is not the mediator. There's only one, and that is Jesus Christ. Only one. Absolutely. And so he could say with full authority, Bruce, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So let's make sure you guys get this. If you have never been born again, all right, you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ if you have never believed that, that he died for your sins, if you've never believed that he was resurrected into new life so that you could have new life, you've never believed this. You've never trusted that he's the Lamb of God that takes away not only the sin of the world, but yours. According to John 3, if that's never happened, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. 
You will not see it. I want us to get real quiet. Let's get real still. Because you can't be intimate with God when you have no relationship with God. You cannot be intimate with God if you have no relationship with Him. So, Abba Father, we're going to get quiet for a minute and I ask Holy Spirit that you speak clearly to each heart here. And the one who needs to be born again, you'll call them to that right now. And they will put their faith in you and the offering of your son, Jesus. For all of us, me, who've made an idol out of food, have mercy on us, O oh God, according to your steadfast love. Help us to do the fast that honors you and to prove to you that you're our first love. Not a spouse, not a child, not a best friend is our first love. It's you. Food was made for our stomach, but our stomach is made for you. And we will live by your words. Abba, Father, thank you so much for your love and grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.